Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. What's up, Paradigm? If you have a copy of God's Word, once you find the book of Jonah is where we're gonna be at tonight. And as you are finding your way to Jonah, I just wanna introduce myself. My name is Chad, and I'm so glad that you made the decision to get here tonight. I don't know what you had to do, what you had to arrange, but we are so grateful that you're here. And if we haven't met, um, I'm not from the Midwest, and you're gonna pick up on that in just a second. And so I uh, actually moved up to the Midwest from the South, and um, I grew up in East Texas, and so there are things that I grew up doing, and as I've talked with other people that maybe grew up in the, in the burbs or in the city, I'm like, we grew up different. And uh, one of those ways that we grew up differently is that we, we had a lot of animals where I grew up, and we lived on about seven acres, and, and we were a dog family. I know that we've got some dog people out there, and so we were a dog family. We had tons of dogs, and, th- and I found out as I got a little bit older that, um, that pigs were kind of like dogs, but they were smarter. And so I had this idea in my mind. You know, I was like, I'm gonna buy a pig, and I'm gonna train it like a dog. And so people are gonna be like, is that your pig? Why is your pig like a dog? And I'll be like, because you didn't know this, but pigs are smarter than dogs. And I was gonna teach it how to ride in the back of my truck. It was gonna be awesome. I was gonna put a bandana around its neck. I was like, all right, this is gonna be great. So I went and bought a pig. I'm about 16 at this time, and I come home, and I'm kind of on my own. My parents aren't really giving me a lot of uh, oversight at this time of my life, and so I just do all this just on my own. And so I'll go find this pig, I bring it home, and as soon as I let it loose in its little pen that I created for it, that thing got out, y'all. And so it started running, and I didn't know pigs were that fast, but this pig was just fast enough, because your boy ain't that fast. I ran like a 5, 9, 40. Anyway, and so this pig gets out, and for, for the next like several hours, I'm trying to catch this pig. I literally just bought this pig, and so if I could just kind of remove myself from the situation and just look at myself, here's what you would have seen, all right? This was springtime in Texas, and so here's what your boy's wearing. I'm wearing boots and shorts, that's what I'm wearing. I am running around after this pig saying, stop, get over here, you know, I'm trying to catch this pig. I can't catch it. Um, I had a rope, because I used to rope cows, and so I had this rope, and I thought, you know what, if I can rope a cow, surely I can rope a pig. It's getting country, y'all, I'm sorry. Anyway, and so I am running after this pig, trying to rope this thing. And I throw, a, I throw a loop after this pig's head and I catch the pig. But I don't pull the loop close fast enough, pig runs right through that thing, man. And so for two days, what, I, what would happen is I'm chasing this pig and as soon as I kind of, as soon as it stopped and I got close enough to it, there it start running again. Next day I go to bed frustrated, like, man, I didn't catch my pig, man, that's my pig. It's gonna be like my dog, but it's a pig, you know. And so the next day comes back and I come home from school and I see the pig out there and it's just grazing. It ain't left the property yet. It's just out there. I'm like, all right, about to catch this thing. And I never caught it. That was my runaway pig. And I spent 48 hours trying to catch this thing so I could build a relationship with this thing. And the reason why I start there tonight is because we're gonna be talking about one of the greatest runaway stories of all time. And we're gonna look tonight at this story where there was this runaway and we're gonna see how God chased him down so that God could accomplish his purpose through this guy. And how this connects to your life and to mine, because here's what I need you to understand, that God has a plan for every one of your lives. 
that God, he, he wants to do some things in you. He, he wants to work in you and then he wants, wants to work through you, but, but there's this tendency that we all have. And the tendency is this, that we will run away from this relationship and God, the one that understood the universe, the one that knit you together in your mother's womb, in his pursuit of you, in this pursuit of his relationship with you, will put him at an arm's distance. <laughs> so that, that pig, again, what I was telling you is, I didn't know pigs could run that fast, but this pig was, like, he was, he was quick. And so um, I, he was running around, but, but it was as if he just, he was close, but he was just far enough where I could never catch him. And we were doing, like, this dance for a couple of days, and, and at the end of the day, it, it was kind of like he was rejecting me. And again, this pictures many of y'all's relationships with God, that you're keeping God at an arm's distance. And whenever he tries to get close in your life, you take a step away. And low key, you're kind of rejecting the opportunity to have a relationship with him. So when that pig got away, I got mad, y'all. <laughs> I huffed and I puffed and I tried to blow his house down, all right? And so I got so mad and, uh, and, I, and I got angry. And then at the end of the day, I was like, you know what, forget it. You can go out into the wilderness because the pig was just wild enough to get away from me, but he wasn't so wild where he was gonna make it with all the coyotes and all the villains that are out in the wilderness. And so I don't know whatever came of that pig, but I never saw him again. And I was so frustrated and so mad. But tonight, the Bible's gonna show us that God is very different than me. Like I think sometimes we think that God's like I was in regard to that pig, like, like when we're running away from God, he's like, man, come on, man, what are you doing, you know? Or like, he's like, whatever, man, go out in the wood, I don't care. But the Bible's gonna show us that God's not like that. And in fact, when we're running away, God is more like a father that relentlessly pursues his wayward children. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message, Runaways. Runaways, and here's what I want you to see tonight from God's word, I want you to see the sin of a man, I want you to see the ship that he took to get away from God, and then I want you to see the God that's, I want, to, I want you to see the storm that God threw at this man in order to grab his attention. This book, Jonah, it was written about 760 BC. And Jonah, he's this guy that, man, loved his country. He was proud of where he was from. And he was a guy that, when you looked at like, uh, like, like society's best moral people, Jonah was one of those guys. You know, he loved his nation, he served his nation, he was faithful to the king in that day. And Jonah, he's this guy that, that, would say, that you would look at and say, man, that guy has it all together. Like he knows the Bible. He knows the Constitution, if you will. He, he's, got it, he's got everything going on. But what you're about to see is something unfold that's gonna challenge Jonah's understanding of God and also our understanding of God, too. Jonah chapter one, starting in verse one, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, we pause real quick because you need to understand what's going on here because I think when we read the Bible, we're kind of like, okay, like God calls Jonah, he's like, hey, bro, what's up, what you doing? He's like, man, I've just been preaching, hanging, and he's like, all right, well, I need you to head over to Nineveh for a little bit and I need you to tell them that they need to change. And Jonah's like, all right, cool. And so I think we read it like that, but when Jonah would have heard this, he would have been like, no, no, you must have mistaken. God, this is not the right, me no, 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 you've got the wrong, no, no, this is not, I cannot go to Nineveh. And the reason why Jonah would have thought that is because Nineveh, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, that doesn't mean much to you and I don't expect that it would, but let me just kind of give you a profile of the Assyrians from this day and age. They were notorious 
for the way that they would incite fear in the victims of those that they would raid. And history shows us, outside of the Bible even, there's stone tablets of how the Assyrians would take people and when they would capture a town, they would sever their legs, they would cut off their left arm, and while they were dying, they would shake their right hand. That history tells us that they would decapitate family members, stick their heads on a pole, and they would make the family members that were still alive carry the poles as they marched them into slavery. The Assyrians, they were so vile that they would stretch people out, they would fillet the skin off of bodies, and they would take that skin, not a scalp like we know from the Wild West, but a skin, and they would lay it across the walls of cities. They would bury people alive with their neck and their head just above the desert heat and cause them to be tortured to death. That the Assyrians, they, they, they are the, 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 the capturing of all that is vile and all that is wicked through the means of violence, and God's telling Jonah, hey, I need you to go there. And, and what's going on in this time in, in, in the day is that, that the Assyrians, they were actually oppressing Jonah's people. Like, and Jonah, he was like, no, 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 these guys, they're, they're saying they're gonna come attack us if we don't pay the money, and, and, and they're gonna do horrible things to our people, and they've already done horrible things to all these other people. And, and Jonah would also grown up hearing the writings of a man named Nahum that's in your Bible, and Nahum would have said this about the Assyrian Empire, that God is gonna, he's gonna judge them, he's gonna strike them down. And Jonah would have been like, that's what we want God to do. But then God comes to Jonah and says, no, no, Jonah, I need you to get up and I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to preach to him. And Jonah, Jonah he, he's not happy because at best he's gonna get rejected and at worst he's gonna get killed. So Jonah, he's hanging out with his guys, like some of his contemporaries are guys like Amos and some other guys in the, in the Old Testament. They're hanging out, like getting coffee or whatever they did back in the day. And, and uh, they're like, hey, so what you got coming up this week? You know, and, and you know, Amos is like, well, I'm gonna head down you know, south of the river and I'm gonna talk to some people about how they need to get right with God. And they're like, okay, well, Jonah, where are you headed? Jonah's like, well, um, actually, uh, God just told me to go to Nineveh. And this would have been unheard of. Because in this day and age, missionaries didn't go out. Like you heard Jason say, I went to the Sudan. We, we didn't do that back in the Old Testament days. They just hung out with their people, with God's people. They didn't go to them. And so now in the Old Testament, we have God calling one of his guys to go to another nation and to preach against them. And Jonah, he didn't like this. He couldn't make sense of this. And so here's what Jonah did. He ran. We see in verse three, it says this. But Jonah, he arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Nineveh is this way. If you look at it on a map, Tarshish is in the complete opposite direction. And so Jonah, he doesn't do what God asked him to do. He, in fact, goes in the complete opposite direction. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down, the sin, the sin. See, the sin here is that Jonah was rebelling against God. God clearly asked Jonah to go to this place, and Jonah clearly understood, I got it, God, yes, sir. But then he went to this place. Even though he understood what God wanted him to do, he went in the complete opposite direction, and he is rebelling against God. Now, let me help you understand what rebellion is not, and then we'll talk about what rebellion is. First of all, rebellion is not ignorance. You know, Jonah, he, he, didn't, he couldn't say, well, I didn't know you wanted me to go there. No, 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 rebellion isn't like, you know what, God, I don't really wanna go there, I'm struggling with what you want me to do, but I'm gonna keep moving in that direction. 
That's not what rebellion is. Rebellion is this, if you're taking notes. Rebellion is the, refu- the refusal to do what has been asked of me. God, I know you want me to go here. I know you want me to do this. I know you want me to speak this, but that don't make sense to me. I know that you're good. I know that you're gracious. I know that you're kind. I know that you're sovereign, but I think that I know better than you, and I'm gonna rebel and go in the complete opposite direction. You want me to do it, go this way? I'm going this way. Jonah is clearly running away from God. And listen, we've all done this too. Every one of us has come in here tonight and there is something that God is asking us to do. And we are at the point of decision. Do I do what God's asked me to do or do I go in the opposite direction? Like what's God asking you to do that you're running from tonight? What's the thing that has got your heart so confused Jonah, he, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he really didn't like the Ninevites. And, and also, this was an uncomfortable request. And also, this was not a normal request, but the command was undeniable. Listen, God will sometimes ask you to do something that isn't comfortable. God will sometimes ask you to do something that isn't normal, but it's typically biblical. Like some of you, you come into a space like this, and maybe you've been tracking with us for some time, and, and you feel like God has been prompting you to get more involved. You know, and, and you hear about community group or you hear about taking your next steps and, and week after week you're like, you know what, I need to do that. You know, I should do that. But it's just a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know those people. It's, it's not in my normal routine, but just because it's not comfortable, just because it's not normal doesn't mean it's not biblical. Others of you, you, you go out on the weekends and, and, and it's okay to go out on the weekends. You have a good time, but some of you, you have a little bit too much of a good time. And so you've been pushing the limits time and time again and, and, and God, he's telling you, if you're gonna honor me, you can't get drunk. And you're like, oh, what am I gonna tell the guys? What am I gonna tell my girls? It's margarita night. And it may be uncomfortable for you to say, look, you know, whatever the limit is, one and no more, I don't know what the limit is. It's uncomfortable to say that. And it may not be normal for you to do that, but it may be biblical. Or maybe God's like, he's put on your heart, man. You need to share your faith with your coworkers. Like, you've been following Jesus. You, you, you come here, like, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything except for tell my coworker about Jesus, you know? And, and you, you know how to share your faith. God has changed your life, but you're like, yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to talk to people about that sort of thing. And it's not normal. But just because it's uncomfortable and just because it's not normal doesn't mean it's not biblical. We love each other. We should move in. It makes sense. It's gonna be financially better. We, we can see if, if we're more, if we got better chemistry and if we're more compatible before we make it to the altar. But then you come to a place like this and you open up God's word and, and you wanna surrender your life to Jesus and, and then you begin to read that God, he is the one that blesses marriage, not people that play married. And, and then you start going, well, that's gonna be uncomfortable for me to talk with him like, about this. That's gonna be uncomfortable for me to talk with him. It's gonna be uncomfortable for me to have to move out. It's, that's not normal. What's, what's normal in our culture is that you try before you buy, that you, this is what our culture does. It's not normal. But just because it's uncomfortable, just because it's not normal, doesn't mean it's not biblical. See, there's this conundrum that takes place between Discomfort and, and the presence of God, all right? 
Like, like what happens here in Jonah is that, that, that what was uncomfortable was indeed biblical, and so it says that Jonah, in order to dodge Nineveh, in order to dodge obedience, in order to dodge the discomfort, he fled, and what it says here in the Bible is that he fled from the presence of the Lord. He fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, now God's presence is a conundrum. Let me just kind of say that there's, there's two things at play, and it's a little bit of a mystery, that, that God's presence is simultaneously uncomfortable, Yet it's awesome, all right? Like in God's presence, there, what it says here is that in the presence of the Lord, there is pleasures forevermore. Like I, I think if, if I was up here and I just had, I could dispense God's presence. And I was like, we giving the presence of God out tonight. We giving the presence. Everybody like, splash on me. I want that presence, right? Like I don't think anybody's like, no, I've had enough. I'm good. No, because in the presence of God, it's awesome. You get, you get peace. You, you, you get joy. Like, like when we think about heaven, What's gonna be tangible in heaven is the presence of God. But it's uncomfortable. Like, like his presence is awesome, but it's also like, it's like Ikea furniture. It's uncomfortable. And if you think that comfort and Christianity can exist in the same experience, I just don't think you're reading the Bible. Because Jesus, like, he's gonna say things that are just, they're, oh man, they're, it's things like, man, if you wanna follow me, you gotta take up your cross, deny yourself, die to yourself daily. And I think that what we wanna do is we wanna soften Christianity, we wanna say that Christianity, that you can, you can kinda of be, you can be cool, you can fit in, you can be relevant, you can be comfortable, and we've kinda of created and concocted this hot tub theology where it's nice and warm, and it's not too uncomfortable, and you get grace, but you never have to go to Nineveh. And I just don't think that's in the Bible. And the reason why we run is because we don't like uncomfortable. The reason why we run is because we don't like not normal. Like a lot of us in the name of comfort, a lot of us in the name of convenience, we are running from God tonight. And then God says, do this, go this way, be with that person, and you're like, no, <laughs> no, God, you must, no, you tripping, God. Like, no, I, mm -mm, no. I, God, agree to disagree, <laughs> right? I'm gonna head to Tarshish. And we start stepping this way. And Jonah, he is rationalizing why his running is okay. He's thinking, surely God doesn't want me to go preach grace to the Ninevites, those bad, mean people. Surely the grace of God, it's enough to save me, but it can't save them. But what sin are you trying to rationalize tonight? What's the one that you're, that, that you're, that you're just trying to be like, look, God, I'm gonna give all myself to you. My hands are open, God. And God's like, what? Your hands ain't open? You still got two fingers down. God, I've surrendered. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're still hanging on to something. And in order for God to put something in your hand, you got to open it completely, y'all. What sin are you trying to rationalize tonight? I mean, surely God knows I got needs. My brother got needs. Surely God knows I'm just a man. 
and I'll be looking on Instagram and TikTok-y and all the stuff, you know, I'll be just looking at the stuff, right? Surely God knows it's all right for me to kind of peruse a little bit. I can shop, but as long as I ain't buying, you know what I'm saying? I, I can look as long as I ain't touching, right? Surely God knows. Surely God knows what they did to me. And surely he wouldn't want me to forgive them, give them grace. Surely he knows how they talk to me, right? And I, I deserve to be mad. I deserve to be jealous. Surely God knows that I can't say no to sex. Surely God knows that I can't say no to these urges. Sure, God understands. Make no mistake. A holy and perfect God who is eternally innocent, has no comprehension for rationalizing sin in which he says leads to death. God doesn't understand, and you may be trying to rationalize why you're running away from God, but it's not gonna end well for you. So I think there's two ways of running that we kind of experience. One way of running away from God is like this external running, all right? The external running is when you are like, like you're bad and you know it, you know? Like you come in here, I don't have to convince you. Like you know that there's something, we're glad you're here by the way, but, but like when I start talking about some of these things, you're like, yep, 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 I, I'm actually high right now. Some of you may be, I don't know. And so you like, no, you're bad on the outside. And so you're externally running away from God. And, and, and even there may be somebody here tonight or somebody's listening to this and they're like, I don't even know if there is a God, but if there is a God, I'm just gonna do me, he can do him, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not even trying to be with him, I'm externally running away from God. But then there's another type of running that most of us are not aware of, and it's an internal running away from God. This is, you got it all together on the outside. You're just a good dude, you're a good person. And like, like you want God's rules, but you don't want his rule in your life. Like you want him for this and this and this, but when he leans into that area, you're like, God, I'm out. And Jonah, he's doing both in this book. Like he, he, he's literally running from God in this scene, but what we know about Jonah is that he's this religious person, comes from a religious city. Like he was a pastor, he was like doing all the things, writing all the books and making all the like inspirational videos and all the stuff, you know? Like he's that guy, but now he's running from God, why? See, Jonah was blind to his internal rebellion. And it wasn't until God asked him to do something that he didn't agree with that it exposed his rebellious heart. See, what will happen is this, is that we'll have this tendency, if we are internally running away from God, we'll have this tendency on the exterior to, to obey God, to serve God, to be good, until you and God disagree. And you'll have this mentality that when there's a disagreement between you and God, you're saying, you know what, God, I did all this for you, and why can't you just, why can't you just give me this thing? Why can't we just get on the same page here? And God is like, I am the God of the universe, not you. And so some of us, you'll, you'll serve God until he blesses someone more than he blesses you. And you'll think, why am, I, why am I 30 and not married yet, God? I've been faithfully holding out. I've been faithfully serving you. And why can't I even get a, a date? And then what will happen is that if you sit in that lament and you begin to run away from God, what you're saying to God is, God, you're only as good to me as the things that you give to me. And I don't want you, God. I just want you to help me get what really I want. 
And so if, if I obey you, will you give me a husband? Will you give me a promotion? Will you give me a blessing? But if you don't, I'm out. And you'll have this mentality where God, you didn't keep up your end of the bargain. And what that shows is that internally, you are running away from God. See, we're all runaways. The Bible says we were all born in our sin. So I'm, let me explain it this way. I got this, um, I got this Christian long neck right here, Topo Chico. Don't get that. I got a couple of flowers, and I want you to imagine I'm trying to decide <clears throat> which one of these flowers is better. I don't know if you can see these. This is a Gerber daisy. It's my wife's favorite flower. So in, in this hand, we have a struggling Gerber daisy, all right? This one's called Ratchet City, all right? And uh, <clears throat> she's not doing so good. And in this hand, we got a nice-looking Gerber daisy, right? Now, I want you to imagine that these Gerber daisies represent two people. Now, if I were to ask you which of these two people is more spiritually alive, which one looks better? I think we all say, well, that one looks better. That one doesn't look so good. But again, if I were to ask you which one of these flowers is more alive, some of us would conclude, well, this one's more alive. But here's the reality. Both of the flowers are dead. One looks dead. One looks bad on the outside. One looks good. One looks like it's fully alive, but they're both dead because they've been cut off. And here's what I'm trying to help you understand. You may have come in here looking like this tonight. Externally, everything. You toe up from the flow up tonight, right? Or you may have come in here, beauty queen, swip, I mean, swole, just ripped guy, you know. Everything looks good. You're a good person. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what the Bible says is that you're both spiritually dead. And the only way for us to make these flowers live again is for them to be resurrected. And the only way that you and I can have a right relationship with God is for us to experience the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That he has come to raise the spiritually dead to life. And if you're here and you're running away from God, externally or internally, your only hope to be right with God is through Jesus. So Paradigm, are you running from God tonight? And if so, where is it taking you? And would you consider a God that desperately loves you? And would you consider returning back to him so that you can accomplish this relationship and he can accomplish his purposes through you? Jonah, he's, he doesn't do this. And so we find in verse three, it says this, but Jonah... He arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And here's some details about what happened. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. It cost you money to run away from God. It cost you something. And then it says, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down. The ship. The ship. Jonah, again, he is headed in the exact opposite direction. And conveniently, there was this ship that was there that was going to take him. See, so here's the deal. If you want to flee from God, there's always going to be a ship to take you there. There's always going to be somebody that's going to hook you up, help you out, and get you where you are trying to go away from God. Like, you ever tried to fight temptation before? 
It just seemed like when, you, when, like when you actively start waging war against your sin, it's just like, I didn't know there was this much temptation out there, you know? Like for me, like I got married about 13 years ago, love of my life, man, she's amazing. And, and when I got married, and, and even before I got married, I had made a decision, I wanna be a one woman man. And so here's what that means, guys. When you're a one woman man, and you can, you can start this today before you ever get a wife, that means that you don't look at other women lustfully. That means that you make a covenant with your eyes not to think about women in inappropriate ways. You don't see women or men as objects. What that means is that you begin to guard your eyes. You begin to guard your sexual purity. So I made this decision before I met Chelsea. When I met Chelsea, I was like, man, you're my girl, you're my bae, you're my everything. And so we decided to go up to Utah to snow ski, but we did that by way of going through Las Vegas. We're like, hey, while we're in Vegas, you know, we, we got a, a couple hours, let's go out to eat on the drag. You know, so we think we're just gonna take a nice little stroll down the strip in Vegas. I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas, uh, but there's a lot that happens in Vegas. And, um, and so, like, here I am. Like, I'm like, you know, like, hey, you're so fine. We're on vacation, and, you know, you're the love of my life. And then we hit, you know, like, it's got welcome to Vegas. And then once you step past that sign, it's just, like, naked people everywhere. And so, you know, I'm trying to look like this, and there's half-naked people on promo. So I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna look down. And then they have these people like giving out these cars that have like strip club invites and stuff like that and they're all over the ground. You're like, oh, all right, I'm just gonna look up like this. Brother just walking through Vegas like this. <laughs> Hold my hand, baby, you know. Doing the Bernie. <laughs> it's just walking down the strip, why? Because if I wanted to feed lust, there were a fleet full of boats that would have taken me down that lane if I wanted to. And here's what I know to be true, guys, that whatever you harbor will become a harbor that gets filled with boats that'll take you further away from God. Whatever you harbor, that's just the word it means, whatever you stew upon will become a harbor that gets filled with boats that'll take you far away from God. And these boats that represent sin, listen, sin will always promise you more than, than, than it can it can pay. It always takes you further away than you really want to go, and it always costs you more than you really want to pay. And so whatever you harbor, like here's the, here's the deal. If you harbor upon lust, it'll become a harbor that'll be full of boats that'll take you to one night stand after one night stand after one night stand. If you harbor on anger, it'll become a harbor that's filled with boats that'll take you to bitterness, that'll take you to rage, that'll take you to violence. If you harbor upon things, and I've got to have this, it will become a harbor that'll get filled with boats that'll take you to embezzlement, that'll take you to greed, that'll take you to debt, that'll take you to overspending. There's always a ship that'll take you to Tarshish. And again, Tarshish represents the opposite of God's presence. Have you ever noticed that it's easy to sin? Like, it's just like Gravity because we are born with an inclination towards depravity. But we rebel against our sin in a righteous way, and we run towards God. But tonight, many of us are running to Tarshish. Many of us, many of us are fleeing the presence of God, thinking that the grass is greener in Tarshish, that the grass is greener away from God. But let me just say this, just because the grass is greener doesn't mean it's better. 
Let me explain it this way. We, um, we had this patch of grass growing up. I told you I lived out in the country. And so we had this, we had this um, pasture that was about, you know, 100 feet from the house. And, um, and I always wondered, like, in, in Texas, like, the grass, it's not like it is up here. In Texas, the grass, it gets burnt. Like, it just looks like just, it's just yellow. It's nasty. But we always had, like, this oasis out in this pasture. And, and like, as a boy, I was like, Mom, can we go play out in the, in the nice grass? She's like, don't play in that grass. I'm like, but mama, mama, the grass is greener right there. It looks nice. And she's like, no, 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 go play in that grass. And, and then we got some animals out in that pasture. I always wonder, like, why do the animals, why don't they eat that grass? It's good grass. It's green. It's, it's, it's like an oasis. And then my mama said, well, the reason why that grass is so green is because that's the drain lines for the septic tank. If you don't know what that means, if you're from the city, here's what that means. All of the uh-uh that comes out of all of my family, that's where it went. And, and it wasn't installed properly. Imagine just a few, like three pipes that gets all the uh-uh out of the, the family and it just, it just fertilizes all of that. So on the surface, it looks good. But the soil is nappy. And that's a picture of sin. On the surface, sin looked good. It looks real good. The, the, the grass is always greener on the surface of sin. But if you dig a little bit deeper, that soil is toxic. And so here, here, here's a, a good practice for you to do. Sometimes it is a healthy thing to consider doing an unhealthy thing so that you can get beyond the excitement of the unhealthy thing and reap the consequences of your decision. Like, let me explain it this way. I told you all, man, my wife, love her, married 13 years. I want to have a faithful, God-honoring marriage. And so it is good for me from time to time to consider if I were to break our vows and do an impure thing. Because there is that temptation, and it's healthy for me to consider not the act of that thing, but what's beyond that thing. Not the surface of that thing, but the soil of that thing. Because if I were to do that, I would have to at one point when everything came to the light, sit down with my wife and my three girls and begin to explain to them why mommy and daddy can't be married anymore. And I would experience delivering the nightmare to my children that my parents delivered to me. All because I thought that the grass was greener in Tarshish all because I, I thought that the surface was all that there was. But then when I considered the soil by which that grass is growing, I realized, man, that is a, that is a nappy place. It's not gonna bring any life. That's not an oasis. That, in fact, if you dig a little bit deeper, that's a desert and that's a stew of crap. What is the thing that you're pursuing because it looks good on the surface? But when you dig a little bit deeper, it's gonna give you toxicity. It's gonna give you nasty, and it's no good for your life. See, the grass may be greener away from God's presence, but make no mistake, it's not better. What ship are you trying to board that is taking you away from God's presence? Because listen, there's always a ship headed to Tarshish but it won't end well for you. You cannot sin and win in life because the wages of sin is death. 
every time. Jonah, he's not really learning this, and so here's what happens in the narrative. We pick up in verse four, it says this. But the Lord, he sent out a great wind on the sea. This word sent, it's, it's the Hebrew word for throw. It's like they would use it like if you're throwing a spear. This is this idea that God is, he's like a, he's like a baseball pitcher, but not a baseball, he's got a storm. And he's cued in, he's got the number one from the catcher, Holy Spirit, and he's throwing this storm at Jonah. And he's throwing it at Jonah for a particular reason. We'll talk about that. And it says this, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. I want you to get into the narrative real quick. I think sometimes we just think, oh, it's kind of like that storm that came through Kansas City a couple days ago, or a couple weeks ago, and a little hail, a little lightning. It's like, okay, we're all good. No, Jonah is on a ship. The storm is so bad that they are thinking that they're gonna die. Like, like I don't know if you've ever even tried to imagine being in this place, but when you are in this place, you are completely at the mercy of the storm. There's not, you can't steer the boat good enough. You can't do anything. And God, it says that he sent this storm. Point number three, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The storm. The storm. Again, God. God sent the storm. Get that in your theology. Because rebellion always leads to ruin. That every sin has a storm that's tethered to it. But, but let me be real clear. Not every storm is a result of sin. We live in a broken world. Some of y'all are going through a storm tonight. And, and, and if you look at, did I do anything to cause this? Did I do anything to cause No, no, you didn't do anything to cause that. Not every storm is a result of sin. But note this, every sin results in a storm. And that storm may be a heartache. You may have come in here tonight and you knew that he was no good for you. You knew that she was, she was a dead end road, but you stayed in a little bit too long, you made a few too many compromises, and now the truth has come out and your heart broke. You're in a storm. Some of you are in a storm tonight, maybe it's financial trouble. You knew you shouldn't have bought that car, you knew you shouldn't have purchased that house, you knew you shouldn't have gotten that credit card, you knew you shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z, and now you've come in here and, and you're 25 and you're looking at the debt you accrued from school, the debt that you have because you made decisions to try to keep up and be a $30,000 millionaire, and now you've come in here and you lay awake at night seeing if your cryptocurrency is gonna make you a millionaire. and you've banked all that you have on it, and you're in a storm. Maybe the storm's mental illness. Maybe you come in here and you're so anxious and so depressed, and, and maybe that has nothing to do with anything that you've done, but maybe, maybe you're the reason that you are the way you are mentally. Because you, you wanna keep your fears, you wanna keep your worries, and you wanna keep doing the things that activate those. Or maybe you're in the storm of addiction tonight, and you keep going back to that same thing, and you think it's gonna provide you a little bit relief, you think it's gonna provide you a little bit of pleasure, but it's robbing you of life. And if you're in a storm tonight, some of you are in a storm that you have made. That you've done something and God is trying to get your attention. And here's what I learned a long time ago about God. That some of the greatest expressions of God's mercy and grace in my life was when he threw a storm at me. 
There's been times in my life where I've tried to live a surrendered life. I'm God, I'm your man. I'm fully surrendered. And he's like, no, you're not. And I look good in this area, in this area, in this area, but I have this little thing I'm hanging on to. And the only way that God could break me of those things was to throw me a storm. And as I look back at those moments in my life when I've gone through the chaos and the struggle and the trouble of the storm, and I see that God is trying to reveal that you're sinning, you're running from me, Chad. And when I would admit that and say, God, I'm sorry, God would begin to give to me his presence, his provision, and his power in my life. And some of you, you're in a storm because you're running from God. And he's trying to say, I I, I love you. It's my mercy that would bring this calamity in your life because it's God's mercy to take from us something we don't need for eternity in order to give us himself, which we cannot live without for eternity. And some of you, you're in a storm tonight. And the storm is a form of God's grace and his mercy. See, sin is running from God. But grace and mercy is being hunted down by God. One of the things I love doing with my kids is um, we have this little parking lot in, in the back part of our property here in town and I love teaching them how to ride their bikes. So here's a picture of one of my daughters on her bike right here. You see there, she's got a little unicorn helmet on, them training wheels. And, and so one of our things that we'll do from time to time this time of year is we'll get out there and, and, and there's this whole parking lot, y'all. Like, it's awesome and, it, and, it's, and it's, it's ours for the taking on the weekend. So we get out there, and we're like, all right, this is, this is your area. And then there's this long driveway that takes them to the road. And we just say, hey, why don't you just stay on this area of the parking lot. Don't go down the driveway because the driveway's downhill and it'll take you into this busy street. And there's bushes and people won't see you dart out into that street and you could get hit. So one day my oldest is trying to learn how to ride her bike and and, and here's what I, I like to do. Like in the afternoon, I like to get a little ice latte, you know, and uh, give me a little, you know, afternoon espresso. And so I've got my ice latte out there, you know, I'm dadding and all that stuff. And, and I'm drinking my thing and I'm like, girls, you know, the bike. And then I, I look up and, and my oldest is headed down the driveway that I told her not to go down. I'm like, hey, 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 <laughs> stop, you know, and, and she ain't stopping. I'm like, uh-oh. And I realize she probably don't know how to stop her bike and she's gaining speed, and I have a decision to make. Latte or Lydia? Latte or Lydia, all right, yeah? I lose the latte, guys, all right? I throw my coffee down, and I'm, I'm running after my daughter, saying, stop, break, stop, lay it down! And I get there in time to grab her from the bike, knowing that if she would have continued just a few more feet, she would have rushed into a busy street. And here's what I didn't do. I didn't grab her off the bike and throw her down and say, what are you thinking? I told you not to go down the street, you idiot. No, you made me waste my coffee. No, that's not what I did. Because I'm a loving father, I sacrificed my little convenience 
I ran after her and I seized her and I stopped her and I held her and I said, don't do that again. Are you okay? I'm here. And I grabbed her bike and I held her as I walked back up the hill and took her to a place of safety. And the reason why I share that story with you because that's a picture of God, y'all. What do you think God was doing when you were looking at porn this week? You think he's just sipping his latte going, what a loser. I knew he would do this. I knew she would do this. No, he's running after you saying, stop. I love you too much to do this. He may be ascending a storm of anxiety your way. What do you, what do you think God is, is thinking when, when you were up late, 2 a.m. in the morning, just doom scrolling because you're depressed? You think he's just in heaven sipping his latte going, oh my gosh, she's a loser. No. He's running after every one of you saying, stop, I love you. Quit running away. And tonight is a night where some of you who are running away, it's a night for you to come home. And it's a night for you to return. And the way you do that is you simply admit that you're a fugitive. You admit that you've been running from God all along. And then you turn around and you embrace the love that the Father has for you. If you think God is scolding you, if you think God is distant from you, if you think God is not running after you, relentlessly pursuing you, then you don't know the God that has disclosed himself in the book of Jonah. He loves you. He has a plan for you. That day I sacrificed my latte. It was, a, it was something that I had to get rid of in order to save my daughter. God sacrificed his son. It says in the book of Isaiah that it, was, it pleased God to crush his son because he knew that's what had to be sacrificed in order for him to be able to rescue you. Tonight's a night when the runaways come home. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. Gotta pray for my friends that are here. God don't know what they brought in here. Maybe they're just like me when I was 20 years old. Half-hearted surrender, half-hearted obedience. But heartbroken. And God, I pray if they have any image inside of their mind other than a loving father running after them saying, stop, I love you. God, I pray they would just get rid of that. And you'd help them to see that it's the love of Christ that draws men near. That it's the kindness of God 
that brings about change. God, if there's someone here and, and maybe they're a sibling of, of, of somebody or they're a friend of somebody that they know is far from you, they boarded the boat, they're headed to Tarsus. God, I pray that you would help them to not give up. And God, I pray you would bring those who have ran away from you home. And Father, if there's somebody here that you're calling them to do something that doesn't make sense, that's uncomfortable, that's not normal, God, help us to learn and live rather than live and learn. Help us to learn from the man Jonah that obedience is what you desire. And God, forgive us for forsaking your presence in the name of comfort. Help us now, God, to be obedient to what you've called us to do. In Christ's name, amen.